Hello, and welcome back to the Saving Delaware History podcast. Well, today we'll be talking with our state's curator of archaeology, Paul Nasca, about the discoveries at Avery's Rest. Thank you, Mr. Nasca, for taking the time today to talk with us. May I start by asking, what was your role in the discoveries at Avery's Rest? Hi, Maddie. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you about Avery's Rest. Um, so my role in Avery's Rust was actually really, really small uh, during the actual uh, recovery phase of it. Um, I did participate a few days uh, of on-site archaeological excavation with the team that was working down there. But now that the dig has finished uh, and the artifacts have been processed, my role, I now have a much larger role. Uh, and I care for those artifacts uh, here in the state repository in Dover uh, that cares for all of the archaeological collections of which Avery's Rest is one, of, uh, is one of them and a very significant collection that we care for here uh, at the state. Wonderful. So when you first discovered Avery's Rest, what were your initial thoughts as to its significance? Sure. So Avery's Rest was identified quite some time ago. Um, uh, and then archaeology uh, happened uh, there a little bit. And then uh, archaeologists came back later and uh, did a much larger uh, excavation there. So um, the significance of this is the way I think uh, the archaeology was done. Um, uh, Dan Griffith uh, led the archaeological excavations there with uh, mostly a team of volunteers from the Archaeological Society of Delaware, the ASD. And the ASD uh, really took their time under uh, Dan's guidance to excavate the site properly, to take um, to painstakingly uh, excavate the site with uh, great record keeping, uh, as well as when all of the field work was done, they did uh, a great job in caring for the artifacts as well. So <clears throat> Avery's Rust was never threatened by development. It was in a way, but uh, it wasn't like the bulldozers were coming tomorrow kind of a thing. So this the significance of this site is, is that Avery's Rest represents, the, to date, the best excavated 17th century site uh, in Delaware. So it really is a, uh, a incredibly important uh, and significant uh, for those merits. It's not the only 17th century site that's been excavated, but to date, it's the best excavated. What were the findings from some of the other 17th century sites in Delaware? Um, there's been quite a few. Uh, archaeology has been going on in the state of Delaware for a long time. Archaeology uh, initially focused on uh, Native American sites, um, but then um, by the 1980s or so, uh, attention began to uh, focus on those that early settlement period of Delaware with the Swedes and, and the Dutch. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, those sites are really hard to find. So there's, there's, there's just not a lot of material culture that dates from that time period because of, you know, we're such a new uh, colony at that time. We're really dependent on manufactured goods coming over from uh, Europe. So the archaeological record of these really early sites is very scant. There's often not a lot of artifacts that survive uh, in the ground. So that said, what artifacts could be recovered from the ground at this site, Avery's Rest? So Avery's Rust has actually a pretty robust collection. Um, if we think about objects that survive, um, the, most objects decompose with time if they're made of uh, wood or leather um, or sort of some organic material cloth. Um, they, you know, once they wind up uh, thrown out, um, they slowly decompose over time. 
Um, and so things that do survive uh, in the ground are these sort of durable objects, things made of metal, um, things made of ceramic, um, um, brick uh, is another thing that survives well in the ground. So glass, um, so it's, you know, when, when archeologists are digging, they're only seeing sort of a, a, a snapshot of sort of like half of the material that was actually being used on the site. All those other things that are made of organic materials have simply decomposed. But what's interesting about Avery's Rest is that um, they excavated several wells uh, at Avery's West. And, and wells are great preservers of organic materials because um, uh, when thrown in a well um, and they sink sort of to the bottom of a well, um, there's no oxygen down there. So it doesn't break down the, um, the, the microbes don't break uh, the organic materials down. So there's were fantastic organic preservation with the collection at Avery's Rest. Um, everything from the barrels that lined the bottoms of these wells um, to uh, small seeds like um, peach seeds, also uh, faunal remains, basically the, the remains of animal bones um, from what people were eating. So, uh, and even I can remember one day working at the site, there were wood shavings coming up from when they were actually constructing the box that supported the very bottom of the well. So that you can actually see the, um, the hands-on work of the people who constructed uh, the wells is something as simple as wood shavings that were uh, preserved. So uh, this great array of preservation, not only in the durable objects at Avery's Rest, but also these organic uh, materials. And, th and they're incredibly rare. Uh, particularly from the 17th century site. Just go back for a minute to explain for some of us who are not familiar with wood being at the bottom of wells. Why would there be a barrel at the bottom of a historic well? Sure, good, good question. So um, when wells are dug, so they're, they're uh, sort of this big shaft that's dug down or it's, it's a lot of times it's a big cone um, so it doesn't collapse in on the folks who are digging it. Um, as you dig down, you want to get down to where the water table is. Um, and so a lot of times um, you need some type of support to support sort of that, that hole that's down there so your uh, well doesn't fill up or silt in. So barrels were a very common uh, item because they were sort of, they're pretty av readily available. You know, goods would be coming in, uh, shipped over in barrels. Um, so, <clears throat> So the barrel allows uh, water to seep in to the sort of the core of the well, so you can draw that clean water out, um, but it also provides support so the walls don't collapse in uh, down where the water is. So oftentimes they'll stack a barrel or two, or in one case with Avery's Rust, they built a sort of a wooden box uh, inside uh, and then put a barrel inside of that box uh, as well. So it's, um, it provides the barrels and the box, the wooden boxes that provide that support down at the bottom so the well doesn't, doesn't fill up and become unusable because it's no longer, you know, it silts in. That makes sense. That explains how we came across all these artifacts at the bottom of the wells at Avery's Rest. After they were taken from the ground, what was done with them? Yeah, so that's a, a tricky part because when artifacts, uh, particularly organic artifacts, are preserved in the ground like that, um, when they're taken out of that wet environment, they deteriorate or decompose uh, quite rapidly. And the way to 
um, stop that decomposition is to keep them wet and go through a conservation process. Many of the objects from small objects, as well as the barrel staves from the barrels themselves and some of the wood from the wooden box that was created, um, when it was excavated, uh, it was kept wet, sort of wrapped up at first and then transported to the lab facility that the ASD had and then kept in pools, actually like uh, little kid pools. So they had all these uh, different pools in, a, uh, uh, in one room um, with all of these uh, objects sort of resting in this wet environment. And from there, they were sent to uh, the Maryland, uh, the MAC lab, the Maryland uh, Archaeological Conservation Center um, for preservation. And so there they would, um, they would treat them with a, a type of chemical called PEG, polyethylene glycol. Um, and then once they were PEG treated, they were freeze dried. So that drives out all the water and dries the object out and that PEG provides the stability for that, uh, that object as well. So, um, and, then they, and then they're able to come back into curation um, as a dry artifact. It, it has this um, preservation material in it. And in curation, how do you use these artifacts to analyze them and discover more of the historical record? Yeah, so in curation here, um, we were the repository for these objects. There's um, currently there, there's several hundred archaeological sites here in curation, so we're not studying them all at once. However, Avery's Rust has received a lot of attention. Um, the initial analysis is done at this point, but there's lots of specialized studies now that can go on. Um, and we sort of become uh, the repository for this research to dwell, uh, to, to draw upon. Um, so I don't know if particular research, particularly what organic materials um, uh, is on, is there's any new research that's going on, but I know that uh, the ASD attempted to do what's called dendrochronology from so several of these, uh, from the barrels and the the linings inside the wells. And what dendrochronology does is it's tree ring dating. So they, um, they take sections of the wood, <clears throat> thin sections of the wood, and then try and match them up with known, um, uh, uh, known uh, types of trees and, and cutting dates and to be able to determine um, when those trees actually uh, grew and were cut down. Um, unfortunately, because the site is so early, we, uh, the, the dendrochronologists were not able to uh, match the site uh, to, to date the wood for us. But hopefully um, as the, the data that the dendrochronologist draws on of these comparative examples continues to grow, maybe then the Avery's rest wood samples can be accurately dated. So in this case, Avery's rest, we look to the historical record as well as um, the archaeological record to help date the site to the time period that's been identified, sort of like 1670 through like 1720. So just to backtrack a little bit, from mm -hmm. taking the artifacts out of the ground, they went through, as you said, an extensive preservation just to make sure we could keep them and continue to analyze them to the actual analysis of trying to compare to other wood types and place them within, within history. How long does that process take from preservation to actually analysis? Yeah, um, the old saying is uh, one day in the field to four days in the lab um, kind of a thing. So it's, it's a long process and that process, the initial part sort of come to an end. But like I said, the, uh, 
you know, we become the repository here. Uh, analysis of the Avery's rest objects can go on for many, many, many years, if not decades, you know, because, because this is such, the, such a great assemblage of artifacts. Um, I think this will be uh, a continually used collection, um, not only by researchers, but also portions of this collection will likely go on long-term display somewhere to, uh, to educate the public about uh, this site and about the people that live there. The, <laughs> the answer to your question is, is how long does analysis take? Um, it, it, it takes a long time and it's, it, it's never really, it never really comes to an end. There's always this opportunity to continue analysis. At what point in the analysis will some of these artifacts be released for a public uh, observation, like you said, in some sort of display or museum exhibit? Sure. So um, while the excavation was going on, there were some short-term exhibits, or at least one short-term exhibit that was developed um, uh, and on display down in Lewis. Um, I believe as, uh, as more interest grows, and uh, particularly with the human remains, um, not that we're going to display human remains, but the artifacts speak to the people that lived uh, at the site, um, we will seek to um, establish a an exhibit uh, that is readily accessible uh, to the public, either down in Lewis or perhaps up at the uh, uh, someplace in, in, in the Wilmington area, maybe the uh, Delaware Historical Society or such, because it is such an important uh, chapter in Delaware's history, um, where archaeology really speaks to this uh, this this time period. Certainly, and I, for one, would love to see that exhibit. What kind of information would be presented there in terms of contextualizing, you know, the very specific information that can be found in the archaeological record? Sure. Um, I think the best thing that archaeology really speaks to is daily life, um, because the objects that we find archaeologically are a primary resource, essentially. In other words, these were the objects that were actually used by the people who lived and worked and died at Avery's Rest. And so um, it, it really... It begins to show uh, and under it allows us to gain an understanding of what a life on the Delaware frontier was like uh, at that time period, what goods were available to them, uh, how people interacted. There's even evidence of uh, uh, Native American interaction at the site with some of the uh, uh, tobacco pipes that were found, as well as some of the uh, early ceramic, uh, Native American ceramic that was found. So uh, it's the sort of this, this community of people who are living and working here on the, uh, on the Delaware frontier at this, at this early time. And um, as, as you know, uh, some of the earliest African-American remains that were recovered here in the state of Delaware were identified at, um, uh, at Avery's Rest. So uh, these objects speak to uh, those folks who were uh, here in forced labor. Uh, as well to labor on the plantation. Is there any way to distinguish between the objects left by the European or Native American uh, inhabitants from those left by African American individuals? Yeah, that's that's always the hardest part. Like who who handled and who dealt with these objects? And we sort of look at uh, objects um, as archaeologists uh, in many different ways, and knowingly that. Um, certain objects can transcend the whole community that's out there. So, um, you know, there's never specifically, you know, uh, 
European artifacts that only Europeans use. And there's never specifically, uh, you know, objects that uh, Native Americans used uh, during the historic period. It's sort of this blending of cultures um, in this interaction. But if you begin to look at things like um, all of the agricultural uh, related materials uh, out at the site that were meant to, uh, you know, maintain, grow um, uh, foodstuffs or some type of cash crop, you know, these are the types of objects that the laborers would most likely be using, things to cook with um, uh, on the site. Um, we have some evidence of some large beads, perhaps these were used as adornment by um, those, uh, those African individuals that were uh, out of the site to, you know, some of the uh, um, belief systems that West African belief systems that they uh, brought with them or African belief systems. Um, you know, a way to communicate. So, uh, oftentimes, um, people use objects to uh, communicate uh, different ways, much like we even do it today. Uh, the easiest way to do that is with our clothing. So, you know, if uh, uh, you can identify people, at what kind of job they work at, or uh, perhaps their social status, or, uh, you know, just by simply the clothing that they're wearing, um, or the you know, a message written on their shirt or something like that. It's the same thing with uh, all through time, basically, um, how we uh, communicate through the objects we use uh, and uh, that we use every day, uh, who we are, what we are, what we believe in. So, uh, and so ar archaeologists sort of look at all of this um, and to, uh, you know, it's sort of pieces together uh, life ways out there. Interesting, uh, some of the early pipes that were found out there, smoking pipes, um, you know, there's they're locally made pipes, perhaps this is coming out of a Native American tradition, um, sort of the, the, uh, the imagery that's on, uh, on the pipes um, either speaks to, uh, uh, could either be belief systems or stories or, you know, some way of communicating with just the imagery that's, uh, that's on the pipe uh, itself, um, as well as um, some of the Native American, there's such a, early on, there's such a dearth of um, manufactured goods that uh, folks at Avery's Rice may actually have been looking to the Native Americans for uh, using some of the, uh, the wear types that they were producing, like pots. Simple, a simple pot to cook in or a simple pot to boil water in. Um, hard to come by in the, in the frontier. Uh, European goods are hard to come by in the frontier uh, of Delaware until you get more into the 18th century. So. so to that end, about how many of the items that you found were homemade versus imported? Oh, percentage, that's a hard, you know, that this, if you want to call them homemade sort of uh, locally produced materials. Uh, it's, it's a small fraction of the material because um, locally produced wares are often using these organic materials. In one of the wells, for example, a gourd was found that was fashioned into a cup, sort of a, sort of a gourd cup. It's only through, you know, the, uh, um, the archeological, through the preservation record of the well that we, you know, we were able to see this gourd cup, um, you know, Someone's drinking out of a gourd because they don't have a, a ceramic mug to drink from, you know. Um, so when you do see these sort of organic objects like this uh, uh, 
Gord Cup, it's it really it really um, communicates um, that uh, you know you're using whatever resources you really have uh, at the, at hand, and objects like that are so rare to preserve um, that oftentimes we sort of forget about these objects. Um, but they were, you know, there was lots of these locally made, locally produced organic materials um, used in everyday life that we just don't, we don't see it very much because it just doesn't preserve any archaeological, archaeological record. This might go a little bit beyond your archaeological background. Were there any sort of preferences for the ceramic mug versus the uh, gourd cup? Uh, were there any sort of hierarchy if both were available? Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, functionality and durability is always a big uh, issue. If you even just sort of think about it in broader terms, um, you know, during the contact period between Europeans and Native Americans, um, you know, they were really trading these durable goods, um, you know, metal hatchets as opposed to, you know, the stone tools that uh, Native Americans were using um, is just one example. So I, I think there's always the preferences for manufactured goods. Manufactured goods can also be a conveyor of your status as well. So, um, and so it's um, I, I, the preference is really, I think, always there for uh, durable manufactured goods. Um, so, as opposed to, to locally made stuff. But uh, again, it's so hard, particularly early, in, particularly in the 17th century, it's so hard to come by. To obtain these manufactured goods, you know everything's coming over from Europe, uh, um, and so you know being down in Sussex County, it's definitely the wilderness <laughs> in the 1670s and 80s and 90s, and you know by the 18th century, you know things start things start changing a little bit. Goods are are more uh, available uh, as there's more European settlement in, in the area, particularly with Lewis. Certainly. So of all the artifacts that you've passed through your hands in the past couple of years, which one was the favorite? You know, uh, it's hard to speak of a, a particularly favorite uh, object. Sometimes it's the really simple things um, that um, really sort of invoke um, the hardships uh, uh, or uh, how, how you sort of got by every day, <laughs> daily life. Um, one thing I thought uh, was really interesting is there were these uh, these things called patents. A patent was uh, uncovered. And what they are is these little things you would fasten to the bottom of your, your shoe. Um, and it's it's basically to pick you up out of the mud. It's so your feet aren't always in the really wet mud all the time. Um, it's this little riser, this little lifter um, that you would wear. Certainly this was something that um, you know, the, the Averys themselves would have been using. This is not something that I'm sure the, the enslaved would have been using. Um, you know, this is sort of to uh, keep you, keep your feet out of the mud as well as keep your garments uh, from getting, you know, out of the mud as well. So it just sort of speaks to the, the uh, you know, the dirty conditions of everyday life in the 17th century. Um, there, there was one object, a fish hook was found. I, I always find as simple of an object it is, they're, they're rare in the archaeological record, um, uh, but it's really cool to see something as simple as a fish hook, realizing that, you know, part of your, um, you know, 
part of getting through the day and feeding yourself and the people there at Avery's Rest was uh, including, uh, you know, uh, a pastime that today we think of as um, as recreation, but certainly then it was a, a subsistence mm -hmm. a living <laughs> to go out and do some fishing. So, why me. are fish hooks rare? Um, because they tend to be a fairly delicate object. Uh, they don't preserve terribly well. Um, you know, sometimes, oftentimes they're made of iron. So when, uh, if they are found archeologically, um, they may be so corroded that they're not identified or they simply crumble away um, when, you know, someone excavates them. So I've worked on a couple of sites where fish hooks are sort of an interest, a sideline interest in me, uh, of mine as an archeologist. That's wonderful. I'm glad we highlighted those two because I wasn't aware that either of those had been found. Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, we spoke about this earlier that, you know, Avery's Rest is this uh, amazing collection uh, and, and the site was well excavated uh, and a large portion of the site was excavated. So the artifact collection is quite robust. Um, you know, there's several let me think, I think there's 220 boxes of artifacts here in curation. So that's quite a bit of, that's quite a bit of, that's quite a bit of objects. And most of these things are just bits and pieces. So it's rare to find whole, uh, whole objects uh, archeologically, unless you have some type of catastrophic event, like, uh, you know, like the ship sinks, you know, kind of a thing. Um, Places like Avery's Rest, uh, people are using things, and they're uh, even if it the first um, the first use of an object, uh, it's no longer functioning like that. Things are often reused in different ways uh, until it sort of uh, becomes obsolete uh, or, or or it's broken to the point of not being able to use it anymore, and then it's discarded. Thing that's how most of the artifacts at Avery's Rest. Um, enter the archeological record, they're discard artifacts as opposed to something that's being, you know, accidentally lost. Like that's how we find, um, you know, coinage in the archeological record or even as, com even as common as 20th century car keys. Every once in a while, you know, an archeological survey will turn up someone's car keys. Someone didn't throw their car keys away. Somebody lost their car keys, kind of a thing. The same thing, like I said, with coinage, jewelry, that kind of stuff, these are, these are you know, things with intrinsic value that um, people weren't intentionally throwing out. So, but through, through much of the material at Avery's Rest is all through this discard uh, process. So it's all well used, it's bits and pieces. And there's 219 boxes of bits and pieces here. Has anyone been through all 220 boxes? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we continually go back to these things, you know, What's neat about archaeology too, um, and the ASD did a great job with this as well, uh, is they took a lot of these bits and pieces and put them back together. So there's, you know, there's partially mended vessels and glass bottles, uh, and plates and and such. So some of these objects are sort of reconstructed. And these are the types of things that go back into exhibits to tell help tell the story at Avery's Rest. Wonderful. Well, that pretty much covers all the questions I have about the archaeological great. record. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this and reveal all this interesting history. I was sure thing. I, it's uh, it's a pleasure to care for the state's collections, and uh, it's a real pleasure to care for Avery's Rest. It's one of the state's best archaeological collections. Thank you. Thank you.